Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and the music dance experience is officially back on. <laughs> oh, that takes me back. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and I have strange new respect for Moonfall. <laughs> Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of... Diffuse Reciprocity. And the triune brain. Today, yeah. it's Space Miss. Happy Space Miss, Dan. That's okay. It's not a religious holiday, right? Like, this is not something. I am fine with that. I wish you a happy Space Mika, but I am also happy to say happy Space Miss. It's, yes. it's really, it is a secular holiday. It, there's, it is. You know. It, um, it, it's, a ho- it's a holiday for all the sci fi nerds out there. I yeah. Think it. it is. Yes. No matter if you worship at Octavia Butler or <laughs> The Expanse. Or or even H.P. Lovecraft. That's right. That's right. We are You are all welcome here. This is an ecumenical space mass. That is yes. what this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be talking about what we're thankful for this year. This is a time of year to be grateful. Last year, we did space giving, which was space a little giving, more right. formal, I think, mm-hmm. recognition of, of things that we've been grateful for through our lives. Right. And because we really didn't want to exactly go to that well again, this year, what we are doing is expressing what we are grateful for in terms of sci-fi uh, this year. So something that had to be released in 2022, or that, more importantly, we consumed in 2022. That's right. That's right. And let's get this out of the way first, which is, I'm grateful for this show. I love doing this show. I love doing this show with you. I love our okay. listeners. I love our Discord. I think that doing this podcast is one of the reasons I've gotten through the past couple of years. Oh, Hannah. I feel the same way. I mean, this has been a wonderful experience. This is, I think, helped keep me sane during the pandemic. And as we we're, you know, living with the pandemic, I guess would be the way to put it. It is also keeping me grounded. And also, I've been reading a lot of cool stuff and watching a lot of cool stuff for this, which has been really nice. I'm not sure I would have done Andor, like, absent this show. And I am really thankful that I actually started watching Andor, among other things. <laughs> And also, Dan, you know how long we've been doing this? Is this now the end of... I Wait a minute. I think we're not counting the days of the churn, correct? That's right. This is not not okay. counting the churn. I, yes. So when I someone think else we, is paying us to do, to do Right, exactly. <laughs> Back in those glory days. I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Anna, that Space the Nation is about to be the age of a toddler. Too. You want to, You have some insight about toddlers. I understand. <laughs> it's some true. specialty, it's some true. specialization that you've, you've I, worked. You up. know, it, it. It was just a little bit of toddler psychology in terms of writing toddler in chief. I always like to joke that that my wife teased me mercilessly when I was writing that book because she saw me reading the American Academy of Pediatrics manual on raising children, trying to figure out the sort of parallels, and she's like, "Now you read that? Now." You know, when the children were at, when our actual children were toddlers, you never cracked that book. Now you're going to do it for research. That's when you you do it. Do so you have any advice for us on how to treat our podcast child? <laughs> I, you know what? I think so far our podcast is not displaying the more pathological traits, hopefully, of uh, of the toddler. But, you know, I'll keep my eyes out for it. You know, okay. hopefully we'll be able to maintain impulse control. Hopefully no one will lose their temper. And we won't have a short attention span. So I think so long as we manage to avoid those things. And and also, I think we're very good about knowing what we don't know. We, you know, we have some metacognition there. Yeah. We're going to take a rest because this is our last episode for 2022. Yes. Barring some shocking twist. You know, this concludes the second season of Space the Nation. And, you know, like all toddlers, we recognize napping is good and that you know we will all be better behaved come 2023 if we have taken some time off that's right and we'll kick off 2023 with cold sci-fi winter i was trying to sound cool that was cool we only have two things we are definitely doing which is snowpiercer Mm -hmm. and the thing we talked also about Empire Strikes Back. We did talk uh, about Empire should, Strikes Back. We should do at least a book, I think. You know, we will. We've been we've gotten away a little bit from the books. It's been an intense semester for me, and so like that's part of it. So that's partially on me. But make you know, ourselves a break read something. Up. I think I need. Yeah, we need to read stuff. Okay, if you are enjoying this back and forth we're having, you should probably become a patron. <laughs> oh yeah, because that means you enjoy our ridiculous chatting and mm-hmm. <laughs> not just listening to us discuss. 
international relations and critiques of capitalism. If you become a patron, you'll be entertained by our discourse on the Discord. We don't appear there as voices, but you will get to hear our insights and the insights of your fellow Space Nation fans. We need to come up with a name for them, Dan. Or, are they Space I, You know what? This is an assignment for the patrons. The, the for, I, Discord you know, members, I, come up with a name for yourselves. I'm pretty confident that you are going to outdo anything we can do. Yeah, um, but I, like, I've got you know, Spaces, we, and that's that's not good. That's not no, good. that's not. I'm sorry. I'm going to veto spaces. Yeah, like, you know, but. Um, but this is one of the reasons I love the Discord is we can give them this assignment and we know and that they're going to come up with something good. Yeah, yeah. They're going to do a Futurama thing. You realize that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we will never live down not having liked Futurama. <laughs> not having loved Futurama. Not having okay loved Futurama. Futurama. No, there are other problem. benefits to patronage besides access to the Discord, Dan. Yes, you get early access to the podcast themselves. Uh, you also get access to our monthly AUAs, which this month will be on Monday, December 26th, which is not something we normally do, but since everyone gets the holiday that day, and it'll be the day after Christmas. Yes, on Boxing Day, you know what you need after so much Christmas stuff? You need to hang with your sci-fi friends. And yes. so that's when we'll be doing that's it. That's right. Yes. And if we get to 250 patrons, and we're more than 80% of the way there, uh, we will do another special patrons-only episode on a topic chosen by you, the patrons. Doesn't even have to be sci-fi. You can make us talk about anything. That's right. You we know. did decide it could be anything. Yep. It could be anything. Yep. It could be anything. Yep. One of our patrons is doing a reread of War and Peace, hoping that's not the direction. No, please no. No, 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 no. That's a really tough, tall order, so I'd rather we not do that. But, uh, now, but yeah, you know. We should admit, historically, these have not gone well. <laughs> <laughs> We've only done one of them, to well, be fair. Well, I was thinking that the Futurama episode was also kind of a patron That was inspired. true. That was a patron-only episode. But you know what? Here's the thing. It's not just we're going to do something on a topic chosen by the patrons. We are going to be enthusiastic about it, Anna. Somehow genuinely enthusiastic. We can do this. We are professionals, Anna. <laughs> if you are already a patron or... It's not something you can do right now. A great way to support the show that costs nothing is to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and to tell your friends and neighbors. Mm -hmm. We usually put our social tags and, in I'm here. sorry, and relatives, because oh. you're going to see them over the holiday season. So, you know, just bringing that up there. That's right. What better yeah. way to get out of a discussion of politics than to say, hey. <laughs> you know where I like to... <laughs> have politics discussed not at this dinner table but this cool podcast that i listen to i don't think we need to react like a situation <laughs> like this so i'll be the annoying political political guy and you you know you just okay like, you know right. what i just feel like this country is going to hell in a handbasket on i just really I, do and like I, I i don't know what to do about it uncle dan <laughs> you know i love politics you know i like to talk about politics you know what I really love, though, is I like to listen to other people talk about politics, people who are really smart. And so there's this podcast. It's called Space the Nation. Maybe we should listen to it right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was so convincing. Well done. Bravo. And scene. And scene. <laughs> I am recalling holidays with my in-laws where actually that would have been a really good out. <laughs> there you go. Now, we do usually give people our socials. There is some stuff happening in a social media put it. Yeah. situation. So as long as Twitter still exists, I'll probably on. I actually, I think I'm, I'm thinking about deleting my account on January 1. I so. am taking a sabbatical from Twitter. So I will, I'm not going to delete my account, but I, and maybe I will be lurking there, but I'm not going to be posting. But if you want to talk to us there, and by the time you listen to this, we will, I think, probably still both be on there. I am at Dan Dresner, and she is? At Anna Marie Cox. I'm also on Mastodon at, mm. at Anna Marie Cox at journa.host. 
And I still need to, I'm on Mastodon, but I don't even remember my handle. I need to start exploring that. So and I'm there's all this other stuff. You know, you know what, Dan, yeah. we're, we have to get to the thing we're going to talk about. But, we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe at the AUA, someone can ask us about this, which is that I think we're never going to have something like Twitter again. And that moment is Probably just going to be gone. So yeah. good luck to Mastodon and Mushroom and all of those other things. I think we've covered how we are, Dan. Do you think we've covered how we are? I think we have, yes, yes. And also, like, you know, we're, we're grateful. We're supposed to be grateful stuff. I'm actually grateful for the gains I had on, on social media, on Twitter. Like, like if it's, this is going to be the end of the time, you know, there was a lot of negativity associated with it. There were a lot of positives that I enjoyed from it, and so I'm grateful for that. Yeah, sure. I have stuff that I'm grateful for <laughs> for Twitter, too. Why not? We're going to okay. move on now, though. <laughs> yes, Dan. let's do that. Dan. <laughs> I think we've actually covered most of why we're doing this, but do you have any further explanation you would like to, or further context no, I think you would like to give, we each, I would say that, you know, a few things about this. First is, is that we, you know, chose the things we chose because it either blew our minds or it affected, you know, the way we think about things, or mostly we're just going to be talking about things that make us happy. And actually, Dan, I, well, okay, so I am a Christian. Mm-hmm. I, I I fess up to that. That is not why I love Christmas. As oh. as people who really think about this stuff know, Christmas is not the most important Christian holiday anyway. <laughs> I, I know, okay. uh, and it's whatever. It's the wrong date. There's all sorts of like biblical history stuff that's problems. Yeah. I, but I love the secular holiday of Christmas. I love giving presents. I love the feeling I get when I know that I've got someone a good present. I think mm, that, that is, is just, it's mm, when you know you've nailed it. Love yeah. that. I love the lights. Uh, my neighborhood, I live in, I live in a transitional neighborhood and <laughs> the lighting schemes are kind of all over the place. And there's like lots of inflatable. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> and there's a few that are clearly professionally done. Most of them are not professionally done. The mm. My neighbors who have, uh, kind of an overgrown yard with like, you know, bird baths that have seen better days and whatnot still went all out. And I love oh, it. Oh, good for them. I love good. it. I love it. Good, good, good. The other so, reason I love uh, Christmas, one last thing, Dan. Yep, yep. December is winter August. <laughs> no one expects you to, to actually be working. Like ah, everyone is kind of like, if you get this email, if you want it, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of like, it's like there's just deadlines or loosey goosey. I wish we could make it a little more official like August is, but December is basically <laughs> winter August. True. So I will admit that when I was growing up, you know, there are ways in which as a Jew, as as listeners probably know, and Anna, as you know, I'm Jewish. And December is in some ways the, the month where if you're Jewish, you really do remember that you're a minority in this country because it's overwhelmingly Christmas. But I will now get to confess something, which is as a Jew, I fucking love Christmas, Anna. And I want to be clear in terms of how I love it, which is not to say, like, I have a Christmas tree in my house. No, that's not the case. But as an outsider, I love almost everything about Christmas. I love the Christmas lights. You know, it is dark most of the time where I am right now. Seeing the Christmas lights set up is is something that's wonderful. And one of the things I love is that I don't know if I would say I'm in a transitional neighborhood, but I'm in a neighborhood where, you know, you'll have a couple houses where, like, the lights are very tasteful. You know, yeah, that's, what, that's what I candle. mean with my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is fine. And I like tasteful, but like if every house does that, it's boring. And right. so then there are also houses with the blow up, you know, with the blow up Santa, the blow ups frosted snowman. Lots of Grinches. There's, one- There's some dinosaurs in my neighborhood now. I don't know what that trend is. I'm like, curious about the role that dinosaurs play. Christmas, Christmas. dinosaurs. They're like dinosaurs with yeah. like Santa hats. Okay. Fair enough. But, you know, I love all of that. I love seeing other people's Christmas trees because Christmas trees are just awesome to look at. And so like one of my, you know, if it's a, uh, if there's a holiday where someone invites us over for like Christmas Eve, just to like, you know, a, a Gentile friends are, are invited as guests. <laughs> I love that. It's great because I do really enjoy this holiday. And I also confess part of this is that when, when I was courting my wife, we used to go down to Miami, which is where she was from. And one of her relatives would throw a Cuban Christmas, which is awesome. Cuban Christmas is involved like a roast pig and like, you know, rice and beans. And it's like the best thing ever. 
And I love Hanukkah. Hanukkah is an adorable Jewish holiday, but let's be blunt. If you think that Christmas is not a serious Christian holiday, let me tell you how minor Hanukkah is in the <laughs> Jewish pantheon. Okay? It really, the only reason it is what it is now is basically because Christmas is the way it is. It's counter-programming. It is counter-programming, yes. And I do like the blue and white lights. That's nice. And the dreidel is nice and so on and so forth. But I, I do like Christmas. But what I also like is science fiction. And so we have chosen three genre examples that we are going to share with you. We're not going to recap them or really talk about the IR on them all that much. We're just going to say what we like about them. And I'm also going to put the acknowledgement here. The things we are not going to talk about is The End of the Expanse, which went out with a great, you know, wonderful ending in January. Or the beginning of Andor, which started more in darkness and stayed murky throughout. We both love those shows. That's just a given. And okay, a reminder about, the other stuff. about Andor. Yes. And a is... reminder about Andor that when season two comes out, we will become a recap podcast about Andor. Yes. yes. It is It is taken the place. Not taken the place. It is, it is uh, now in the same pantheon as The Expanse, as worthy of our weekly attention. Yes. Which really says a lot about Andor, because yes. um, we don't, we don't, we're not, we weren't thinking about that really about any other show. Okay, Anna, do you want to start? Yes. What are you thankful for? Uh, I am grateful for Severance, which we did talk ah, about. We did talk about Severance, that's true. But when I was thinking about the shows that affected me the most, that I thought about the most after they were over, Severance mm -hmm. was one of them. It is available on mm -hmm. Apple TV Plus or Apple Plus TV, yeah. whatever they call it. And I think it's interesting. It's one of several entries in our list that's not, it's science fiction only because of a one central conceit, right? right. And yeah. it's a central conceit that's designed to get you thinking about some specific things, right? Mm. For those who may not know or remember, Severance, maybe you've been severed. Maybe that's why you don't remember. <laughs> the severance, the conceit of severance is that people uh, sort of have their brain cut in half, uh, not mm. literally, where they are off during. A bit literally, actually, but yeah. <laughs> there is some kind of actual brain manipulation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where there are two different people, basically work person and non-work person, innies and outies. And I loved it because it was gorgeous to look at. It had some of the best like set design, interior design that. I've seen, you know, an original stuff. Like, I, it's hard to say that about an office, but it just looked cool. Oh, know? yeah. No, it, 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 it was its own aesthetic. I've never seen yeah. anything quite like it. And it was legit fascinating. Yeah, to, so to gorgeous watch. looking might yeah. be fascinating to look at. It mm -hmm. also had amazing performances from some mm -hmm. character actors that were doing something different than you usually see them do. Yeah. Christopher Walken, John Turturro, Patricia Arquette mm -hmm. in a role that I've never seen her before. Uh, introduced me to Michael Chernis who played Rick and Hale, who I think kind of stole the show sometimes. Like, and as a character was really surprising. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he begins as someone who's kind of annoying and stereotypical and emerges as a hero of sorts. Uh, yeah, it, a definitely bit. a hero to the, to the innies. To the innies, yes. To the innies. Yes. Zach Cherry also I had not seen in much before, and he is fantastic in it. And... It's an exploration of, of a, two different things, I would say. Mm -hmm. A relationship to work, obviously. And that's sort of what it starts out being and what you know it's about. And it goes some interesting places with that. Mm -hmm. But then it's actually about grief. And about coping with grief and coping with things that seem uncopable. Yes, or about not coping with grief, as it were. Might be the best way of putting it, yes. So I take it, Anna, you would recommend this to others. I would recommend this to others. If if you have gone back to an office, maybe not. If the pandemic, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think this is an interesting show to come out during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Perhaps timely, uh, perhaps not. Depending on your relationship to your own work, uh, it might disturb you more than it would disturb other people. But yes, yes, definitely. I definitely recommend it. I can say I enjoyed the show, and because the, uh, the irony is, I remember watching it because I had COVID then. That I, this is what I binge watched during COVID, and I did enjoy it. I don't know if I enjoyed it quite as much as you, but like I, I'm very eager for season two because I'm curious. It ended on a cliffhanger. Let's let's put it that way, 
And I would also recommend it to others unless, this is the one thing that still sticks with me, unless you have a crush on Adam Scott. And the reason I say that is that Adam Scott is the protagonist. I have never seen him look less attractive than in this show. And that's clearly by design, I would add. You know, it's not that, that uh, that's normally what happens. But I believe um, there's actual camera tricks that were done yeah. to make him portrayed in I bet they had to put a lot of, right. I bet they had to put a lot of work to make him look that bad, but the work paid off is all I am saying. That's so, true. Yeah, That's enough. true. Although yeah. if you really have a crush on him, then maybe it doesn't matter. That's possible. That's a fair point. Okay. Maybe yes. one's crush on Adam Scott is, has to do with his amazing performances. And this is a great performance. And he is very good too. at this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so. And it's really two performances is the thing. Each of the, a lot of the actors are essentially doing two performances. One is the any, one is the Audi. And they're both, they all acquit themselves very, very well. Dan, what about you? What's 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 uh, next on the list? So I am happy and uh, grateful for Star Trek Lower Decks. This is available on Paramount+. Plus. It is an animated Star Trek show. It is set just after basically the end of the sort of 1990s Star Trek Next Generation slash DS9 slash Voyager series. It is also the first Star Trek series to be very plainly a straight-up comedy. These are half-hour uh, episodes. It is set on a uh, ship called the Cerritos, which is a California-class starship. It's not fancy. It's not, like, glamorous. This ship does things like second contact missions as opposed to first contact missions. In the second contact missions, all that happens is the paperwork is signed and things like that. And it's set among sort of the, you know... Basically what they did, and here's one of the reasons why I'm grateful for it, maybe this is nostalgia, because part of the reason this show is so appealing is that it really does sort of marinate in the sort of Star Trek universe. But I do think it has three strengths that, that work extremely well for it, which the first being the premise. They basically took the Lower Decks episode from Next Generation, which was an episode that happened, I think, in one of the final seasons of that show, and focus on the less glamorous aspects of the Federation. You know, not just second contact missions, but second contact missions from a Lower Decks perspective, which in the process does a very fine job of satirizing the bridge crew. There are shades of John Scalzi's red shirts here. Um, I would suggest in terms of the way that the bridge crew is is portrayed, and that's certainly one aspect of it. And so it's these, you know, young ensigns, all you know, all of whom have aspirations to, you know, advance through the ranks of Starfleet, but also, you know, learn how to become friends with each other and learn that there are joys sometimes to just doing their job in a lower decks way. The second part of the show is it's just really goddamn funny. It feels like someone really sprinkled a lot of self-referential humor from like the MCU into a Star Trek world. So like they do a lot of things on this show where they revisit aspects of the canon, but they do it in such a way that that makes it really funny. So for example, there was an episode in season three where, to start off season three, where the four main characters have to go to Bozeman, which is the site of Zephyrin Cochran's first warp, you know, warp trip. And it's now a theme park. So that's like this Disney sort of theme park that they do. And it's, it's just very, very funny. And because it's a comedy, this leads to the third thing, which is the ability to mine the more absurd parts of the canon. So one of the enemies in the this, this episode in the show Lower Decks is the Pakleds, which is a species that occurred in Next Generation. That's a really stupid species, frankly, but they they like know how to steal and borrow from others. Um, and so there's a lot of fun things about that. There is an episode involving the Mugatu, which are um, a really like a, a, an original series creature which is sort of like a white gorilla with a big horn in the middle of the forehead. I remember um, that see, creature. You remember that? Yes. Anna, how to put this gently, there is a scene involving the Mugatu and a Mugatu theme park that is easily the raunchiest scene I have ever seen in any Star Trek episode ever of any Star Trek show that is the fucking funniest thing I have, have seen this year. I laughed so hard for like about five minutes and I don't want to ruin the joke, but it's just, it, it was basically, what did the Mugatu do when they party? And it's just very funny. I've only watched a little bit of this. I also enjoy it, perhaps not mm -hmm. as much as you. However, mm -hmm. one of the episodes I saw recently had a had a riff on the Shaka when the walls fell mm -hmm. episode, which yeah. is not a huge part of that plot, 
but mm-hmm. mining that for like ridiculousness did warm my heart because that's like a, you know the incredibly important episode like people write fucking papers about it you oh know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah you'll be it, happy it, to know he's a recurring character um so oh. was, if you keep watching he that that character will will appear again yes it's he, Mario, sort of says nonsense yeah. things that the universal translator yeah. has trouble with and so i appreciated that self-referentiality and the willingness to not take their own canon too seriously which is i think right. everything I, you're saying basically yeah no, 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 I would agree. And a- again, I think because they're willing not to take it, it, it seriously, they can, as I say, go to some of the parts where, let's face it, it's either cheesy, you know, like in, in retrospect, it's cheesy or it hasn't aged well, or it's a little weird. And basically just sort of acknowledge, yep, yep, we're doing that now. And so, and also I would say the other thing that the show genuinely does well is that it has the optimism of those shows. You know, and that's the thing about Star Trek. Most of the Star Trek shows, particularly those three, were relatively optimistic shows in terms of, like, the role that the Federation played and and the values that the Federation stands for. And so it's a, you know, we've had some tough times recently, Anna, and, like, you know, I, I do like that kind of sunny optimism. But I will say that I will only recommend this show conditional on whether or not viewers or listeners have some familiarity with the original series and next generation your enjoyment of this show goes up the more of the star trek that you've watched is the way i would put it um because there are things again they are just making fun of that if you haven't seen them it's not that you won't enjoy it it's just you won't quite enjoy it on the same level and my understanding is that it features paul Shear and jason manzoukas Definitely Paul Shear. I don't remember if Jason Mantzoukas has been on it yet. I believe um, they, that they've mentioned it on How Did This Get Made, which is our rival podcast, really. Like that's Yes. Oh, I, oh yeah. <laughs> We're equals, I think. Yes. I will say that I think June Raphael, is that her name? Yes. Paul Shear. June Raphael yes. David. Yeah. June, or June Dane Raphael. I can't remember. Yes. But she's she is on the show also. And that, by the way, one of the, the advantages they have of it being an animated show is that they have no compunction whatsoever about bringing in actors who appeared in all of these shows and having them do guest voice roles. So Jonathan Frakes has made an appearance. Duncan McNeil, I think, is, you know, from Voyager has made uh, an appearance. And also they, they, they go deep into the canon to like bring up character actors who have been on DS9 and other, other shows. And it, it works really well that way. So Anna, your turn. What else are you thankful for? I am grateful for Shining Girls, which oh. is also available on Apple Plus. And okay. I was ready to not like this. I tried to read the book (laughs) a couple of times and just didn't get very far in it, which is, I'm pretty easy about what I like to read, especially in genre. I'll put up with a lot. And the fact that I didn't get very far seems, seemed bad. Seems like a bad sign, but people kept telling me that it was good. And I do love Elizabeth Moss. So I tried it out. I, in fact, I, I attempted to get us to talk about it. I'd you like did, it so I, and I must apologize for this, that you, you uh, multiple times you have tried to get me to watch this. And I think I've watched like the first five minutes, but, you know, stuff got in the way. So maybe this will be something that I will try to, to start watching over the break. It's another of the shows that's kind of the conceit exists in order to get us to talk about something else. And in this particular mm-hmm. case, the show is very interested in trauma. And so it's not an optimistic show. Well, hmm. Take that back. It has trauma in it. One can watch for oneself and decide about the level of optimism involved. But the reason I'm grateful for it, it takes place mostly in Chicago 1992, which is my Chicago. That is the year I graduated. (laughs) That is the year that I started to like go out all the time. And there are posters for bars that I went to. And I think bands too. Uh, in in the background and the lounge acts my, was near and dear to my heart. I almost like started crying when I saw Aww. lounge acts posters. Um, and there's some needle drops like from the Pixies and other early '90s bands. Mm-hmm. And I know that's kind of your time too. It is yeah. my time. Yeah. Not my time in Chicago. I got I didn't get to Chicago until '99. But like, yeah, you know, I, we're we're contemporaries that way. So yes, yes. I, I, the music might actually be a, a draw in. That's good to know. It stars Elizabeth Moss, of course, as I said. And she just, I don't know if she delivers bad performances, honestly. Not on television, at least. She just knocks it out of the park every single time. And this is another home run, no matter what else you think. And I think what the show tries to say 
about trauma or, or what the show is interested in is the relationship between trauma and memory. Mm-hmm. So the conceit that this show uses is. And this is a spoiler it's alert. It's hard so, to explain. Yeah. It's, so it's a spoiler alert. So like, if you don't want to know this and you want to watch the show, <laughs> press that fast forward 30 seconds thing. So go ahead. Right. On the surface, the conceit is actually, uh, it might not, you don't know what it is because Elizabeth Moth presents as someone who is an unreliable narrator and could just have a mental illness. What happens with her is that she, every once in a while, becomes a different person. Like she finds herself in a new situation, people referring to her by a different name, a different backstory, a different place she's living. All of that stuff is new. And that is a great metaphor for how trauma works right there, mm. actually, is that sometimes you feel completely displaced in your own life by it. It then becomes a show a little bit about time travel. Hmm. However, it never lets go of that underlying concern about trauma and how women especially deal with trauma and the ways that women can and can work together to deal with trauma. It's not always an easy watch, hmm. I would say. but. Uh, Elizabeth Moss's performance is is spectacular. The soundtrack is spectacular. And it has a kind of gritty feel to it that actually reminds me of early like 90s prestige television as well. Like it feels a little bit like The Wire or something. Mm. So I enjoyed it. Uh, Recommended with reservations. Dan, do you know anything about it besides what I've told you? Honestly, no, no. I know it's, I mean, I think it's been reviewed reasonably well, but like, uh, I, I confess, as I said, this is not a show that I've really dipped into yet. And maybe I'll at least have to watch the first episode to see whether uh, it'll draw me in further. I think you should. Uh, it, like I said, this is a little bit of a warning for people that might be especially sensitive to depictions of violence against women, but overall worthwhile. And I, I sort of want to say why I'm grateful for it because it stuck with me. Yeah. That is something to be grateful for, I think, in this day and age of massive, overwhelming pop culture. Yeah, like, like this podcast is about, you know, science fiction and, and poli-sci and sci-fi. We have no shortage of stuff we could talk about. Our problem is not the dearth of subject matter that has come out this year. The problem is, what are we going to pick and choose to talk about? And sometimes I forget what we've talked about, yeah. you know? I mean, I, it, it, that sounds terrible. I... <laughs> There is so much out there to consume, yeah. and I've made this joke about like a lot of some of the content that that we take in, like Mercury across my brain, like yeah. it just slides off without making an impact. And mm-hmm. I feel like even something that's good can do that. Yeah, uh, there's there's just so much out there. But this is a show that I have thought about since I stopped watching it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which these days seems pretty rare. Is it coming back for a second season? Do you know? Anna? It might be a little weird to do a season two. It, it ended with some finality. Uh, Elizabeth oh, okay. Moss has expressed interest in a season two. I would be happy if they just left a bow on this. I think it exists in a complete way. Mm-hmm. And I am not sure what I would think about it. I mean, it depends. It's a great team of people putting it together. So who okay. knows? Fair enough. But I am satisfied with just one season. Okay, that sounds good. Your turn. Okay, the next thing I'm grateful for is, believe it or not, a book, Anna. I am grateful for uh, Sea of Tranquility, which is a novel by Emily St. John Mandel, uh, who is also the author of Station Eleven, most well-known. This book came out just this year. It's now available in paperback. It is also, I would suggest, her first explicitly sci-fi novel. I mean, we've talked about Station Eleven on this show because we we talk about, uh, in some ways, when we talk about sci-fi, apocalyptic stuff often gets included in that. But this novel takes place both in the past as well as the future. Um, It's about time travel and the near future, a future in which there are moon bases, but also potentially deadly pandemics, and the United States doesn't necessarily exist anymore. So, Anna, I read this when I was in French Polynesia. Have I mentioned to you that I was there this year? I think so, Dan. Dan, I think you've mentioned (laughs) Dan, it is unfortunate that we're not in the same room together. (laughs) Listeners, I just want to say that in the script, for me. in the script, I set that cue up and I put for Anna hurls obscenities and shade at me because I've been been. Yes, tell us again about <laughs> French Polynesia again. Tell us one more time. It's a magical place, Anna. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, why am I'm not I not a fan of violence in general? I, I'm not serious that I would do any harm to you if we we're in the same room, but it is maybe a good thing that we don't have to test that. That's fair enough. So. Yes, yes, yes. 
Okay, so I'm grateful for it for, I think, four reasons. The first is what I would describe as, for lack of a way of putting it, the Mandelverse, which is what she has started to do. In, she did it in Sea of Tranquility. She also did it in her previous novel, The Glass Hotel, is that she's taking characters from her previous work and putting them into her subsequent novels. So in this one, she revisits some of the characters from The Glass Hotel, but from a slightly different angle. And in The Glass Hotel, by the way, she did that with some of the Station Eleven characters, where in that sort of universe, the pandemic does not actually happen. And so as a result, it was actually lovely to revisit some of these characters. Another reason I'm grateful for it is, weirdly, she engages in some self-criticism. This is a meta-novel in some ways, because they're one of the plots among others, is uh, a novelist named Olive Llewellyn, who is basically Mandel, but it's set in the year 2203. And at that point, she lives on the moon, but she comes down to Earth to make a book tour of what used to be the United States, um, but is now multiple different republics. So she goes to the Atlantic Republic, she goes to the Texas Republic, California, the Dakotas, and so on and so forth. Mostly what's fascinating is that the device allows her to make some interesting observations about her own career, particularly Station Eleven, because the premise is, is that the author made it big by writing a pandemic novel. And actually, in the novel, she talks about the critique, clearly, that, that Station Eleven had, including one of the ones that you levied, which was that the climax of that novel was generally thought to be anticlimactic, I guess, or it was, it was over relatively quickly. And I would say that, frankly, she acknowledges that point to some extent. Um, and so that's, it's kind of interesting to sort of see her trying to cope with that. Another thing I liked is the central conceit, which this is about time travel and I can't, I can tell you that, but I don't want to give away what the, the actual central conceit is because I think that's one of the joys of reading. But here's the way I would put it. Mandel has this gift for making events that should generate truly existential despair, things like a pandemic or other things questioning our existence. And somehow, when you read it, it actually doesn't generate despair. It actually generates the opposite of that. And that's a talent. Like, that's oddly, you know, that's a particular peculiar skill set. I mean, Station Eleven, I've always described as the most hopeful pandemic novel I've ever read. And in some ways, this is also a weirdly hopeful novel. And I did kind of like that. And she even has, finally, some politics in it. She has this great sentence about bureaucracies where she says, what you have to understand is that bureaucracy is an organism and the prime goal of every organism is self-protection. Bureaucracy exists to protect itself, which is in fact not the worst description of sort of bureaucratic politics theory. And so this is a novel that in some ways I think is her kind of cloud atlas because it, it has that kind of structure where it starts in 1800, then there's another slice of time, another slice of time, and so on and so forth. And then you go back and revisit those things. But um, it's a very quick read. I really enjoyed it. And uh, I want to see what else she's going to write. I wound up really loving Station Eleven, except for, you know, criticism of that ending. Although I would say part of the reason that I was unsatisfied with the ending is that I did like all the characters and I liked what she was doing with them. And it felt unsatisfying. I think an unsatisfying right. climax is usually a sign of a basically good book. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting that I think a lot of people like the miniseries in no small part because they it changes the structure of the book. And in some ways, I think even Mandel has acknowledged that. And as I said, she's acknowledged that like she got aspects of the pandemic or how a pandemic works not terribly well and so on and so forth. But um, so it's rare to read to see a novelist, I guess, who's that, you know, willing to be that self-critical, but also, you know, go in new directions. And, and this was really an interesting novel in that ways. And also it's very engaging. So I would recommend it to others. I would also, if you really want to be a completist, read The Glass Hotel before you read Sea of Tranquility. Um, although The Glass Hotel is not actually really a sci-fi novel, but they're both really good. And they're also both, I would say, relatively quick reads. They're not long novels. You know, you can you can do it in a couple of days. I like how that's one of the criteria for you. Well, it is, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, and maybe this, is, maybe this is how I'm hardwired, which is to say I would, there is... I do like completing a novel, I guess would be the way to put it. And so there's something about finishing a novel that regardless of the size, I always like, you know, and, and maybe this is just superficial of me. It's like, you know, I could tick off that box. I read that. Like, you know, so yeah, that that's the way I am. Well, then I, I am not going to recommend to you. <laughs> 
the this other next, thing that I'm grateful the for. The other thing you're grateful for? Okay, do tell. What is it, Anna? Stephen King's Dark Tower series, Oof. which is thousands and thousands of pages. <laughs> it's, it's, it is not a snack. <laughs> it is a meal of a lifetime. Like it's, it's, you know, it's going on keto for the rest of your life. How many books are there in the series? What? How? It's eight books. Oh God. And wow. it is his fantasy series. Right. And it is Western tinged. Didn't fantasy, they make a, the main character? They made they a made film a, of this, a, which was not generally considered to be good, if memory serves. That's right. Yeah. They cast Idris Elba as the main character. Uh, Roland Deschain, the gunslinger. And while perfect casting, as far as I'm concerned, put Idris Elba in everything, <laughs> apparently didn't work out. Uh, so I haven't seen it. I'm actually thinking about watching it maybe even tonight okay. because I'm just curious about it because I've been thinking about the series in general. Mm-hmm. And it is its own fandom too. There are people who love the Dark Tower series and that's kind of a separate group of people than than p- the fans of King's other horror like work. It I mean, they overlap, it. Yeah. obviously, yeah, yeah. but it, it is its own fandom, hmm. I would say, which is one reason why for a long time I avoided these books hmm. because I am a horror fan and I love his horror. And sometimes when he tries to do other stuff, I'm not as big a fan. So I avoided it for a long time. I've been rereading it, however, uh-huh. for my other genre podcast. Oh, that's right. You have another podcast on it. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm a guest. I'm a, I'm a panelist okay. on the Losers Club, which is a Stephen <laughs> King podcast. And they decided to do a reread of all eight books. And I've been joining them. And it has been great to have an ongoing conversation with the same people about this. That That is what we get to do. But it turns out, I think I just like doing that in general. Like, I like having... <laughs> This is why I get. I think I wanted to be a professor, Dan. Like, <laughs> I like having a shared text that we all talk about. It turns out that's a really cool thing to do. I it should probably cool. join a book club, mm-hmm. but <laughs> but I have podcasts instead of a book club, <laughs> and it's so. There's been the context of of doing it that's been great, and then there's also the fact that it is the series that I read kind of compulsively my first year of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I just gobbled it down, mm-hmm. like all eight books, one after the other, and really found myself in that headspace. And so it's been really interesting to go back and reread this stuff 11 years later. Yeah. And King stuff always engages with recovery. Huh. Now, I have to ask, because, like, I, how do I put this? There are, I'm sure you would agree, we've talked about this, there are songs that, like, if you listen to them, you know, put you back in a specific time or place. Like you, you were all, I mean, anyone who's older than 20, right. you know, when they hear, there are certain songs that they associate with a certain time and place. I'm curious in reading this, do you find yourself back in that headspace or reminding yourself of that headspace? Yes and no. That's what's been interesting huh. is that I see the books kind of differently now. Oh, and that is interesting. Oh, wow. Shows me a little a, a glimpse at what has changed for me in sobriety and in my life mm-hmm. from 11 years ago. Oh. I, I can't put a finger on a lot of it. I think one of the things that <laughs> I've kind of, one of the things I've gotten out of it is I think my relationship to my sobriety is less fraught. I I think I was had so many fears yeah. about my own ability to stay sober and my own ability to survive. It, it made reading the books, maybe, maybe that's one of the reasons why I was so compulsive about reading them. They actually made me anxious. Hmm. Um, but I think going back, I've been able to take in a lot of other aspects of it. And I've also been able to see how generous King is with his characters, even in the context of recovery. Hmm. I, I will say that one thing about this series that's really special to me is that I've told this story before, but I will tell it briefly again, is that in one of the latter novels, The Wolves of the Kala, which is also the book I'll recommend if anyone wants a one-off of the eight, Father Callahan reappears, uh, reappears from Salem's Lot. 
and there's a whole metafiction thing going on here too like don't get me started it's kind of controversial i'm not sure how i feel about it i don't know if he carries it off exactly but characters from stephen king's other books appear and one of them is father callahan who's the alcoholic priest Mm -hmm. from salem's lot and there is an interlude that follows him through multiple relapses Hmm. and I remember being so fascinated by that when I was in my first year of recovery and feeling a lot of identification with it. Although I got through that first year, you know, I, that stayed, I stayed with the same sobriety date, but the idea of being unable to stay sober, the idea of not really wanting to stay sober because he's full of grief. Actually, hmm. the reason why he's unable to stay sober is that a close friend of his has been killed mm-hmm. by a vampire. Happens. So in the King universe, I remember very much identifying with Father Callahan and thinking, "This is just like me." I feel because I had a lot of losses my first year. Mm. That's all I'll say. And I feeling like I really identify. This is how I feel. It's hard to stay sober when you're in grief. This is exactly. I'm exactly like Father Callahan, except for the vampires part. (laughs) That is true. That might not be a thing that I experience. (laughs) But then, alone in my apartment on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, I had this thought, which is that, okay, wait a minute. I believe in God. God is a supernatural being. Is it possible that vampires exist, too? I mean, the logic, I think, is pretty impeccable, Dan. Like. <laughs> I assume you then immediately locked the doors and closed all the windows. I did. I actually totally freaked myself out. I still can give myself kind of chills because the, I do think the logic is sound. Right. Like yeah. if there is one supernatural being. Who's to say there aren't others? Yes. Yes. So that is one of the reasons I'm grateful for that book. It put me back. It gave me a different context to read this stuff. Mm. And um, my feelings about Father Callahan were more grace, more about grace than they were back then. I didn't identify with him so much as I, as I was able to feel his pain. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like, I wasn't like, oh my God, this is me. It was, oh, that must hurt so much. Right. You don't identify with the character, you identify with the emotion. And I identified, I could even recollect my own pain, yeah. but it was with the ability to know that I passed through it. Dare we say wisdom, in fact. Perhaps even some wisdom. Yeah. Yes. And as far as recommending it to others, it's a, I mentioned Wolves of the Cala is one of the shorter ones. It also is very standalone. It is, believe it or not, a retelling of the Seven Samurai. Whoa. <laughs> oh, now you've hooked me in potentially. I love the Seven Samurai. Um, it is. It's, there's a lot of other stuff going on too, but it is acknowledged in the book and also the Magnificent Seven, obviously, yeah, yeah. to be kind of a retelling of, of that narrative. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to drop in and out of if, if you don't want to read the whole series. Huh, interesting. Okay. All right. And your turn. Uh, the last thing I'm grateful for, or the last major thing I'm grateful for, is also something that we have uh, talked about in a previous episode. It is everything, everywhere, all at once. We did, in fact, record an episode about it. I the, the highest praise I can offer it is that it is the best multiverse story of the year, and it is not the only one that we discussed. And I, I think I'm grateful for it because, let, let's be clear, it's not a perfect film. It's a messy film in some ways. There are moments at the end where I'm not entirely sure the logic of it, it, it adds up. But it might be the most inventive thing I saw in 2022. The directors really did have a sort of let's throw everything at the, the the wall and see what sticks. But unlike, let's say, Elon Musk, an awful lot stuck and an awful lot was inventive. So, you know, there are all these different universes that they explore. There's there's a sort of Ratatouille universe where instead of a rat directing a chef, there is a raccoon. Um, that was very amusing. There is the rock universe where it can't support life, but instead... Michelle Yeoh playing Evelyn Wang and Stephanie Su uh, playing her daughter are able to talk to each other. There are some tremendous performances in this film. 
by, among others, you know, two middle-aged women, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Yeoh, who are magnificent, particularly Michelle Yeoh in it. The concept of the... And do some kung fu fighting yes, also. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Both of them. The concept of the everything bagel as the black hole of the multiverse is just, again, just uh, props to the uh, uh, the imagination there. The set design in this film is extraordinary. I think I, it, my one memory of our podcast is that you were stressed out watching the first part of that film because it is such a cluttered set. Um, yeah. And you kept wanting to like... You wanted it to be cleaner, but like it, it, it really felt. Uh, but no, it's, it felt it, that, like is the, that is the world that the characters inhabit, yeah, yeah. and you have to have some respect for that because normally a movie would clean up right. a cluttered. Normally, space. movies for like the reason that, that, that yeah. for for audience members like me. Yes, <laughs> but in some ways, the, the, the set design it is it, much like the film; it is overstuffed, and so that in some yeah. ways it yeah. perfectly captures it. And then finally, the revelation. Of uh, and I apologize if I mangle this name. Kehui Kwan, who played Short Round as a kid in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and has mostly worked behind the scenes in the film industry since then. This is, I believe, his first acting role since then, and as an adult actor, just crushes it. And also plays Michelle Yeoh's husband in a variety of different verses, and he's often seen as sort of a a sort of weak, sad sack, nice guy in many of these things. And I would say that I, I was grateful for his performance because in one of the universes, he in the, the one that is clearly an ode to In the Mood for Love, uh, Wong Kar Wai's film, he looks hot as hell. You know, like he's finally like actually gets a, a universe where he looks really dashing and also gives the central speech of the film. In a surprising thing, I think one of the reasons I, I always like this film is that I wasn't expecting it to go in this direction. But he basically talks about kindness not just as an intrinsically good thing to do, but as a important strategy in a world defined by cruelty. And let me put it this way. I think this might be the one piece of art that made me cry this year. I was legitimately moved by that point. Um, and I don't cry at a lot of things, I, I grant you, but like that got me choked up. I was legitimately touched by that. I also enjoyed the movie. It did not stick with me as it seems to have stuck with a lot of people. Mm. And that may be me. No, art hits different people in different ways. That's not, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it made a lot of people's best of lists. Yeah. Heard a lot of people who, who say that it stuck with them more than, you know, quote unquote, better movies. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. I think it's very good movie. Yeah. It's not perfect. No, I think it's not very, very, very good. Like it, it is if I had to, it is probably one of the best movies of the yeah. year. I mean, Moonfall being the, the best. And then that goes ranking underneath um, that, yeah, yeah. I would say everything, everywhere, all at once. And I it definitely want other people to see it. Yes. Like, not just recommend it, but like, you should, would tell people, I, I want you to see this. And I would want to talk about it afterwards. It, it, it definitely... I think it also. I mean, I I remember I remember all my thoughts about it, which mm -hmm. maybe it stuck with me more than I realized. Yeah. Also, it'll, it, I hadn't thought about it, but I I I it's now available, by the way, uh, on Showtime, I believe, and so I might watch it again because I'm kind of like you know, as I said, it did stick with me, and just uh, yeah, it's it's. Leave it this way. I guess the way I would put it is that it takes a lot of big swings, and some of them are misses, but most of them aren't. And you don't say that about a lot of films. And so that's in some ways yeah. the, the thing I admire about it. Yeah. Dan, thank you. I think now that we have gone through our top three mm -hmm. for both of us, uh, uh, let's talk about some themes, <laughs> the thematic continuity that yes. we may see in our own choices. It's true. I'll let you, you go first. Where as, as one of my, uh, my college president used to say, let's explore the inner space now. <laughs> I, I think the three things that I, you know, th that I recommend the, the, if there's a commonality in them, it's that much like these holidays, I am thankful for the kind of sci-fi that offers some sense of hope when confronted perhaps with despair or overwhelming stress. And so, you know, all three things that I liked weirdly acknowledge the hazards and risks of the world out there and just sort of say, yeah, that's a fact. That doesn't necessarily have to overwhelm you. You just sort of brush yourself off and, you know, can, can go forward. And 
I do like that ethos, I have to confess. So, you know, I, I'm an optimistic kind of person. And I guess in that sense, I do like the the art that we can occasionally watch that can be optimistic without cloying or without being absurdly unrealistic. And I do feel like, weirdly, those three things that I talked about actually have that in common. What about you, Anna? One of the reasons I like you, Dan, is I do think that you are an optimist. Aww. I maybe less of an optimist. And no. in fact, <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I saw shot through my choices is grief. Mm-hmm. And I'm not surprised by this. I think that we are dealing with a, a era of grief. Yeah. We have lost hundreds of thousands, a million people, millions of people, and we are still losing them. Mm-hmm. And there is not a family out there that hasn't been touched in a in some fatal way by this pandemic, either directly COVID-19 or indirectly the rates of suicide and overdose have jumped in a shocking and, you know, upsetting way. Mm-hmm. Uh, reports of depression and anxiety among children mental health issues across the board mental health issues across the board and all of that is sad uh, true and sad Mm -hmm. and i think what some of the things that i was impacted by i hate that hate impacted the verb but i'll say it Mm -hmm. what they have in common is dealing with that which is not a bad thing of coping with those things, right? Coping with grief, coping with mental illness. And coping to be clear is not denial. Coping is acknowledging the grief in the room and not solving it, but at least figuring out a way to live with it, I guess would be the way to to put it. And in my own journey with grief, Mm -hmm. I would say that it's interesting that you bring up optimism because I have a very cherished service commitment that I do, where I, I go, I now speak on at via Zoom at a treatment center, mm-hmm. and my topic every month is hope. Hmm. And I've been doing it for years and years, and they asked me recently, do you want to keep doing it? I was like, yes, yes, I <laughs> need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a 12-step meeting, but also it has a theme, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that I've learned uh, from, you know, gosh, eight years of talking about hope once a month is that hope is not the same as optimism. Mm -hmm. Hope is not necessarily thinking that things are going to turn out okay, but knowing you're going to get through it no matter what. Hmm. That there is another side to whatever it is you're going through. And in some ways that's even more valuable than optimism at times. And I wasn't going to say that myself, Dan. Yeah. Well, let me put it this way, Anna. One of the things but I like I do. about I actually, I mean, but now that you brought it up, and seriously, yeah. like, just knowing you're going to make it through something mm-hmm. and not necessarily having a specific idea mm-hmm. about what's on the other side it can be the thing that gets you through the toughest of times. Well, let me say, Anna, that one of the things I like about you is that beneath, you know, or along with perhaps your your grief, there is also hope. And, you know, I yeah. I do enjoy... I enjoy radiating from that. The radiation that you get off from that would be the way to put it. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. I know you're you're struggling with that sentence a little yeah, bit. Like, how can that. I say I enjoy Anna being in grief? No, but, you know, <laughs> I got you. Got there. It took a while, but you got there. I, la- I landed that plane, Anna. You landed. I landed it. that spacecraft. We have a debris field. We do. What the hell? We have a small. What is causing our debris? (laughs) What is causing? You know what? It's 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 the tears of joy that we you know have from this holiday season. Yes. Um, Plink 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 plink. That's our debris field. Right. So the debris field. Yeah. What else do you got, Dan? Let's let's just sort of like uh, things you're grateful for. Stuff that made you happy. Right. Just stuff like little stuff, like not the things. Theme songs, Anna. Um, There were two theme songs this year that like, you know, you you know, like when you watch things, do you skip over the credits or do you continue to watch? These two shows, I would always watch the credits. One being Peacemaker, starring John Cena. The credit sequence is only a minute, but it's just really, you cannot not watch it. And The Peripheral, 
which just finished its first season on Amazon. The credits and the music are beautiful. I love, I, I watch it every time, um, you know, and uh, it's just really engaging. I liked the peripheral. I did not. It, maybe we'll talk about season two. We, yeah, uh, we might. That, that could be a topic of conversation for next year. I liked the peripheral. Or we could do the book. Oh, that might be. Oh, that might be really interesting, actually. Ooh, yeah. I kind of like that idea. I think it's a good show. I, that you're right that the the credits are really beautiful. Yeah. It has some good performances. I am going to say in the genre category, I've mentioned both of these YouTube channels before, but they've made me happy. Uh, New Rockstars, which does the deep dive stuff about like, these are the Easter eggs. This is the lore in the MCU. Oh, this is how okay. this character relates to this character. Because I'm not going to find that stuff out on my own. <laughs> I'm never going to read like all the Spider-Man stuff. You know, I'm never, that's not, like how I consume science fiction. I love knowing it. Mm -hmm. I love someone telling me about it and get, getting kind of the richer details. Mm -hmm. And I, so I appreciate the new Rockstars channel. And then there's a woman named Jenny Nicholson, I mentioned in passing, who is, I don't know how quite how to describe what she does. She has, her, she has a channel and she does kind of explainers mm -hmm. and she's a nerd and she does, you know, Star Wars, not so much Star Trek, a lot of Star Wars. She is a, theme park enthusiast <laughs> and fair enough okay did a two-hour story of a of a failed theme park that i watched every minute of wow she winds up she tells these stories that, like i think sometimes she describes herself as like exploring the internet's like weirder corners and kind of getting the, the cool. backstory of them she told the story of the last brony con <laughs> do you remember brony i do remember Bronies, yes yes so she actually attended the last BronyCon. Oh my! And th that's like a you know one and a half hour story that I I've just settled in with. So I really appreciate those those nerds. There's Fair other enough. nerds that I like. I I feel communion parasocial relationships watching them be nerdy on my behalf. Excellent. One other thing I'm thankful for: Roland Emmerich's oeuvre. We did Emmerich Carey back in in the early part of 2022, and then we did Butler Vember. And you know what I realized, Anna? <laughs> One of the virtues of watching Butler Vember was that I, I realized why I enjoy Roland Emmerich's films so much. I thought I enjoyed them because they were good, you know, just like stupid films and like, you know, I could laugh at them. And, and you know, Moonfall being, of course, the apotheosis of this. But what I learned watching the Butler films was that you have to love the craft in order to be able to produce something that is that entertaining. And like the Butler, like Geostorm was never hit that level, even though it was equally absurd. And yet I will enjoy Moonfall watching it every time until the day I die. Cause it is just like, there is something loopy about it and like a swing for the fences aspect of it that Emmerich really does bring to his theater or is, 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 I have an idea, Dan, yes. we should do an episode that's about good, bad movies and about the definition of good, bad movies oh. and good examples of good, bad movies. Cause we've become something of an expert. I Both think of us so. have become experts yeah. on this. Yeah. And definitely something that comes up over and over is the, the love that has to go into a good, bad movie. Right. You have to have passion for what you're doing yeah. and that, and to be a good, bad movie, the passion does not work. The, the end result is somehow flawed, but <laughs> It is the passion and the and the going for it and the gusto and yeah. the sense that the people making the movie like were there for it. Yes. Had committed to it. Right. And you're right. Butler Bimber showed us that the different like for one thing it showed like it actually suggests that Gerard Butler <laughs> doesn't care a lot. <laughs> no, that was unfortunate. Yes, that's that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That he only occasionally really cares about the movies he's yeah. in, because <laughs> there's a real difference. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was quite <laughs> when clear. he cares, and when he doesn't. And I wanted to add, you know, I'm grateful as always for Karen. Mm, yes, who is our editor and producer, and, and she mother. makes us yeah. and Alwyn's mother, and yeah. she makes us sound a lot smarter. And more together mm -hmm. than we really are. Oh, she cuts us. out some likes and some ums mm. and some other verbal tics. We're going to have a lot of those. And she can't <laughs> cut everything. So 
sometimes this is not the most professional sounding podcast, <gasps> I think. Sometimes we perhaps mismanage our time or step on each other or our jokes don't go as well as we think they're going. But Dan, we have passion. We do. We are committed. Oh, I like how you, st- you stuck that landing on it. Well done. Well done. Thank you. So maybe we're a good, bad podcast. <laughs> at the yes. very least. Yes. We may not be a good podcast, but at least we're a good, bad But we podcast. are bringing the passion every time. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, this is a great conversation to continue on the Discord, Dan, isn't it? I think so. Yes. Which yeah. you can do so if you choose to become a patron. Just a final reminder. For the end of 2022, it, it, it would make a lovely gift for someone, is what we're saying. You know, maybe, maybe yeah. think of it that way. It's become very lively lately. We have a Elmo channel, uh, <laughs> which is the autocorrect for if you start to spell Elon, mm. unless you've typed Elon enough that your iPhone knows who Elon is, which is, hey, kind of sad. Mm-hmm. But we have an Elmo channel that is like probably my favorite right now. <laughs> it is describe put the description it's a you know, bird site death watch <laughs> then we've got other fun channels including adorables oh, yes. including kind of current events and dan has been showing up pretty regularly thank you yes all right i yeah. wanted some recognition there i'm like you know periodically you know checking on things i will do so further i don't want to be just withholding dad uh, so yeah. divorced dad is coming to visit more often <laughs> Try to be a better person, Anna. Yeah, speaking of Emmerich, that's, that's why you love Emmerich so that's much. <laughs> I can't be a divorced dad in real life, but I could be one on this podcast. That's right. I don't, I don't have anything more. Again, I am grateful to every single one of you that's listening right now. Being able to do this podcast is something that has made my life better. So thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Anna. And thank you to the listeners. And until next time. Keep this channel open for more.